Hey, I'm Polina, and I want to talk about some sad, really sad stuff. I know, who wants to have that conversation? But trust me, it comes from humble beginnings, and probably your own humble beginnings. So... It all starts with books. Now, I have a terrible character flaw in that books make me really sad. I know it's not in the way you think, though. I don't hate books. I actually really like them. I'm one of those weird, strange people. And that's where the flaw is. Because every time after reading a book, I usually feel incredibly sad. The conflict, the tragic backstory, a striking character death. Living in people's shoes who are going through the worst times of their lives. All of these aspects make a book worth reading. It really does, because without them, it's just an episode of Mickey Mouse Club. But it all tends to drain me. It's so much. So much death, so much gore, so much tragedy. So why do I keep reading sad books? Well, honestly, I have no idea. But I think a good place to start maybe the book that sparked this dilemma in me. The question was made after reading the notorious book A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihari, and it really isn't just a little book. It's a book that is well known in the book community as making even the most emotionless readers fall apart. So much so that it's even become a trend to read the book on camera and watch the reaction, the reaction being crying intensely, and it's kind of overwhelming how many people have done it. So why do people read such a sad book? When I read A Little Life, it was an intense time. It was 720 pages in three days, which probably wasn't the best decision that tore me apart. Now, A Little Life isn't your ordinary sad book, in no ways, ever. It is a polarizing, tragic story that studies the effect of trauma on the main character, Jude. It leaves the reader beyond stunned. Many have criticized it for being vulgar, with unnecessary violence and overindulgent in its themes. And after reading it, I started to wonder why myself and so many other sane readers would even begin reading such a book with a reputation like its own. It has aspects that are limited but does include consistent depictions of self-harm, suicide, child trafficking, pedophilia, abuse, depression, sex trafficking, an amputation, a literal amputation, and a vulgar depiction of child rape in the same chapter. As you can concur, it's not really your mom's romance book at the grocery store. Now, to recover from such a graphic book, I usually gravitate towards happy books. This happens basically twice a month after I read another sad book. It's always something that feels optimistic and lighthearted. And as much as I wish I would read more happy books than my typical tragedy, they just don't really work for me. I usually never finish them because I found a more new complicated book to read. Basically, I start a happy book and in between, I find a new sad book. To figure out why I'd do such thing of such affliction, I have developed some theories as why myself and many others like sad stories. Now, who likes sad stories? Well, it appears everyone, at every age, 
and even the most optimistic and pure hearts even love sad stories. A lot of books that are happy are actually really tragic, just we don't really see it that way. Harry Potter, a classic beloved children's book and YA novel. In the first chapter, we're introduced to a character with dead parents, abusive step-parents who consistently neglect and objectify him and treat him almost as a slave. But it's all okay, because by the third chapter, he's at magic school, and he's a wizard, Harry. But it's not just Harry Potter. All over in your favorite childhood nostalgic movies is a lot of questionable aspects. Here's a little rant or list. Tarzan, dead parents, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, poor parents, spirit away, no parents, kind of, they turn into pigs. Every Steven Spielberg movie, parent bad, kid good, that's kind of it. All over children's content is dead or really unfortunate or really bad or just really poor parents, but we don't really care. It's all okay because by the end, the kid is terrific, and he has a great life, and he's redeemed his dead parents or poor parents, and everything's okay. But why is it that way? An explanation as to why content all over, and especially in children's media, is because stories with sad backstories and tragic beginnings stimulates us to keep reading. We want to watch and see what the character will overcome, and it keeps us fascinated. It also helps us sympathize with them a bit easier. We don't want to see the rich kid go on to do something amazing. We want to see the poor kid overcome. It's much more interesting to read a story of adversity instead of something that's expected. Now, kids aren't only the victims of this. Upon coming to this realization, it made me think about the own media I consume. And one of the biggest ones is reality TV competition shows. From Chop to American Idol to America's Next Top Model to one of the Americans winning some another big competition, every show has a contestant or many contestants with a tragic sob story. It's just kind of the norm. It helps us to sympathize with the contestant. It is almost as a way we turn them into characters instead of actual people. They have story arcs that we've been familiar with since we were kids. And stories, we have an expectation for it. We are fascinated by them because we expect a conclusion that will be grand, that will savor a nostalgic factor we've had since we were kids. So, to conclude why we like sad stories, well, a big part is because they keep us interested. We've kind of always grown up liking sad stories, from fables to the media we consume now. Sad stories keep us hooked. But what else does sad stories do to us? Well, my next theory comes from a study made by Ohio State University, which had a similar question as mine. So, they did a little bit of research. And they found that we enjoy sad endings because, by contrasting our own lives, they make us feel better, which is a little messed up. In this study, they had participants reflect on their feelings after seeing tragic events, and we try to figure out what happens when we hear sad stories. We can see that stories help us escape our own lives and unintentionally ground ourselves. But that's not all it is. They also kind of lift ourselves up. It's like an ego boost. It helps us make, feel, make us feel better. Our lives aren't that bad. I mean, look at these people. But they can also d- trigger different feelings, such as feeling alive. Now, how could sad emotions make us feel alive? Well, it's because negative or positive, strong emotions make us feel like... We're living through something, 
that we are experiencing the full embodiment of life. They attract us because sad sometimes mean more interesting. We want to hear about more interesting lives than our own. And we want to feel the strong emotions that someone else might feel. Sad stimuli is particularly arousing to the human brain, feeling more than feelings of happiness. Experiencing these emotions can also influence the way we feel and experience things. This leads into my next theory. You can think of sad stories kind of like a really, really safe car. The kind you give to your 16-year-old. They help us go through tragedy and conflict in a safe environment. Sad stories can be like training for us to see what life may turn out like. Or it can be like a looking glass to see what it's like for others, even though it may never happen to us. It gives us a chance to deepen our empathy. This is a theory I connect with most, and kind of the reason I gravitate towards sad stories. I think it's because sometimes... I want these people who are going through bad things to have someone who understands them and is willing to read their stories, even if they're fictional people, because it's probably inspired by someone who did have a true story. It's easy for us to understand Harry Potter because he had a really sad life and we can connect with that emotion easily. Everyone's been sad before. So when we hear that something bad happened to Harry, we can expect how he may react because we know his sad backstory. Sad stories have a more complex perspective, and it helps us. It's easier to understand, we can expect things better. It's all kind of conditioned at this point. So, where does this leave me for my sad story, A Little Life? Well, who knows. It's kind of the big dog of the sad stories. But about everything else, I kind of do have a personal theory. We all have an itch inside of us that wants to grow. We want to see others overcome and face adversity. It's a storyline we're familiar with, and we see in our own lives. We all want to grow and be better people and face our own adversity. And seeing others can make it more possible. We want to become more grateful for our own lives as well. Grow our gratitude and thankfulness that, you know what, my life isn't as bad as I thought it was. And maybe there is also room to grow. And lastly, we want to grow our understanding for others. Now, in our society today, everyone seems to want to be on one side or the other. But I think really, people do want to understand. They want to stand, understand each other as well. And we can grow especially through hearing other people's stories and just listening. And even though we are attracted to stories that are terrible and have tragic endings and sad deaths and American Idol sob stories, it all comes from an honest place. We want to hear stories of growth. It's a simple theme and we all can connect with it because every year we grow and it's something we all have to live through. So, sad stories, are they bad? Are they evil? Probably not. Probably just an honest way for us to connect with each other because everyone's been sad before. Now, I'm Helena Bell and I've really liked talking with you today. I know I kind of go on a little bit, but I think we had a nice conversation even though you didn't talk. So, I hope you like listening to my sad story, and I'm free to listen to yours anytime.